Um, hey, before I jump into the message, I wanted to share something. Uh, in, in light of that, that word that I gave, there were two parts to it that I felt were relevant to share to you. One is we're going to do a series coming up, uh, two of them, that we're working on. One is going to be on spiritual warfare because we feel like it's a time um, to be teaching on that a little bit more. What is the Lord calling for today? Where should we line up individually as a church? You know, how do we pray? The Bible says no weapon formed against us shall prosper. It's, do we do anything with that? Uh, do we stand on that? Do we release that? What, what do we do with that, right? So we, we want to teach on that. And then one on worship, because I feel like the Lord is calling us into something um, as a church, right? Not as, not as just simply individuals, but as a church to move into something deeper. I feel like it's an invitation to come into the throne room. And I know that we have such an eclectic church, like our, our thing that we have to agree on is not like, I like the building, or I like Pastor John, or uh, I like that style. I think what we need to agree on is that we're going to love Jesus together, right? So what does God call us to in that? And all of us, uh, as believers, have a ministry to the Lord in worship. And I feel like the Lord is calling us to a deeper place. So we're developing a series that we're going to teach on that. I think that you will enjoy that. So let me uh, let me connect a couple of dots for you. That word that I gave during worship, um, I got that actually... I was, I was helping a person who, um, I, I, I told Crystal, I want to, because I don't want people to go, oh, Pastor John's a nice guy. It, it was, the Lord told me to do it. That's why I did it. Um, I was helping somebody cut their grass that couldn't cut their grass. They're not in a position right now uh, with their health to be able to cut their grass. So Chris and I went over and cut their grass. But here's what I have found, and here's, here's what I'm trying to say real quick. If you have been saying, I'm not hearing the voice of the Lord. The Lord's not speaking to me. I haven't, I just haven't felt him like I normally feel him. Maybe you're doing the same old like you've always done. Maybe it's in your quiet time. Maybe you're reading the Bible. Maybe you're a journaler. Uh, maybe it's while you're praying. Just feel like, man, I'm just not really hearing the voice of the Lord. Let me tell you something that's been working for me, and I felt like maybe I should share it with you. As I have looked for opportunities to serve people, the Lord is speaking to me while I'm serving people more than in, more than in my quiet time, more than when I'm praying, more than when I'm, I'm studying the Word. It's like while I'm serving someone, the Holy Spirit is downloading so much to me. So we're cutting grass on Friday uh, for this person, right? And I keep having to turn the lawnmower off and write down all the things the Lord is telling me on my phone because I don't want to forget them, right? It's just so much he's downloading. So Chris comes up. She's like, John, is something wrong with the lawnmower? I said, no, there's something wrong with the lawnmower. Uh, he can't, can't seem to get it. And I felt like I should just share with you that if you have been praying and asking, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Lord, I want to hear what you have to say to me. Uh, and maybe you feel like he just hasn't been speaking. Find an opportunity to serve right now. I think, look, sometimes we're praying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Can I tell you the easiest way to be blessed? Find what God is already blessing and do that thing right there. And I think when we serve, and there are opportunities all around us, right? There are so many, so many chances to serve throughout the day. And serve people, you don't have to make a big deal about it. You don't have to even let people know that you're doing it. But I think there's just something to that. I think maybe one of the rewards, Terry said it, uh, better to give than it is to receive. Because if you're in the giving, it means you already have it. You don't need it. Right? And I think when we're serving, it's like the Lord's reward to us. Hey, let me, I don't know why, I don't know what, I don't know it'll always be that way. I just felt like I was supposed to share that real quick. There's something to that. And if you've been praying, Lord, I'm not hearing your voice or I want to hear your voice, find an opportunity to serve and watch what the Lord will do. Okay, uh, let's jump into this for the next two weeks. Today and next week, uh, here's what the series is. It's just a, a, a small series. I'm calling it, Are We There Yet? 
Anyone in the room uh, have kids and you've been on a vacation where you've heard those words? So you do not know. I, they make jokes about that. It's, you know, you kind of see it like a, on a television show or something. Nothing can be more annoying than being on a long trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, you know, and trying to answer that question over and over and over again. This, I'm going to apply this way. Where are we in space and time um, as a church, uh, as the world, in relationship to what the Lord is doing? There's a promise that Jesus is going to return. I said something last week that jarred this into being. Uh, made, made the statement that there's a lot of prophetic words out, kind of two camps right now. Some people are predicting, hey, uh, end times and prepare for the worst. Some people are saying it's going to be one of the greatest revivals the world has ever seen. Um, and so I, I mentioned last week, I feel like we're going to have revival. I feel like our best days are in front of us, not behind us. I feel like it's time to not give up on the world. I feel like it's time to believe that God is a good God. How, how many billions of prayers have been prayed in the last 100 or 200 years for the Holy Spirit to move in a new way in the world today? I don't think God's going to ignore those prayers. I think he'll answer those prayers. But I, I wanted to talk a little bit because I said that, and I had people question, like, why do you believe that? Uh, we've heard this. We've heard. So here, I, I'm just going to, let me, let, me, <laughs> let me do a pastor walk down the middle thing, right? Uh, some are preparing for trouble. Some are preparing for revival. Uh, how about this? Could it be both things at the same time? Could we live in end times and could there be revival? Could there be difficulties and could there be an outpouring? Does it have to be one or the other? I, I don't think that it does. I think that um, I think that you'll find what I teach today is that there's a possibility for both things. And by the way, I'm just going to say this ahead of time. So, Pastor, do you know for sure? No. Do you know for sure? No. Who's the one who knows for sure? The Father knows. The Father knows for sure. So let me make that clear. And by the way, what I share today, I, I'm going to be a little bit, hey, here's why I believe this. Here's why I think this. If you disagree with me, you don't remember I said anything else. Remember this. If you disagree with me, you do not have to leave the church. Who said that? Double blessing on you, my friend. Double blessing today on you. Some are like, I've been doing it for 40 years, and I'll keep on doing it, Pastor. You can't stop. Come on. You don't have to leave because you disagree with something. This isn't heaven, hell. <laughs> oh, yes, it is, preacher. It is. <laughs> So some are preparing for trouble and others for revival. Could it be both? So let me tell you today why I think that we stand on the precipice of um, maybe an in-sweeping of the Holy Spirit that we have not seen, at least in our lifetime and in our day and age, and maybe that we haven't seen since, like, the book of Acts. Okay? So I just, I just want to give you what I think about this. You're free to, like, Pastor, I'm not sure that it means that. So let me just say this. Even if we disagree on what these scriptures say, um, how are you praying today? Like, if you're praying, I just, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket, and so be it. That is the wrong way to pray. You should be praying that, that the Lord remembers people today, and that the Lord hears our prayers today. Uh, the Bible tells me that God is merciful, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you believe that to be true? How you pray then, God. Remember your people. Remember your sons and daughters. Remember, Father God, your faithfulness. Put him in remembrance, the Bible says. We should be praying for good and not for evil. And if we're not doing it, who else is praying for good? I don't think the world is praying for good at large. I think believers are the ones who should be praying for good. 
So let me do this. If you want to fill in the blanks, uh, I just have three of them, and we'll go, we'll go through this pretty quick. Uh, why do I think we could uh, have an outpouring, a revival? Why, could, why do I think that before the Lord returns, before the, the, the tribulation, before those things, why do I think we could see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? One, we have the Holy Spirit. Four of us have the Holy Spirit. Let me say it one more time. If you're born again and love Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Okay. So why do I think we could have revival? Because we have the Holy Spirit. And as long as we have the Holy Spirit, there is the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do things that are far beyond what you and I see, far beyond what you and I know. The Holy Spirit is able to convict the world of sin and turn them to uh, their full attention to Jesus. I believe that. And I believe as long as we have the Holy Spirit, that is a possibility. Now, I'm going to show you why I believe that. Uh, this is Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. And just real quickly, let me set this up. This is talking about uh, the Antichrist and the Antichrist spirit. And if you're like, and we just went from 0 to 100, uh, yes. And some things are just going to have to give me. I don't have an entire uh, time to teach uh, an end times message here. So some things you're just going to have to go, uh, I'm going to just get with, can you be a new wineskin? There we go. There we go. Okay, so this talks about the Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit, and what keeps the Antichrist spirit from fully having his way in the world today. Uh, for the secret power of lawlessness, which is a reference to the Antichrist, is already at work. That spirit of lawlessness is already at work in the world. This was written 2,000 years ago. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Most conservative scholars agree that this is speaking of the Antichrist and the work of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is in the world today, and His work keeps the Antichrist spirit from having its full effect in the world today. Now, at some point, the Holy Spirit will be pulled back, and the Antichrist will be able to make war, especially with the saints, it says. I don't want to be here for that. Will we be here for that? I'll tell you what I think in just a minute. By the way, if you are like, like so let's just, let's just zoom to 200 miles an hour. Are you a pre, a mid, or a post? What in the world is he talking about? Where, what, what is this? Are you a pre-trib rapture, a mid-trib rapture, or post? What's the rapture? Stay with me for a minute, okay? All right, so pre means that before, by the way, the word tribulation means trouble, not wrath trouble. Look it up yourself. And do we face trouble in this world? Jesus said, in this world you will have, but fear not, I've overcome the world. So we do have trouble. Now, some people say everything that has to do with the tribulation, the church won't experience any of it. I believe we won't experience any of God's wrath. And I'll show you a scripture in a moment that says we're not appointed for God's wrath. The Bible does not say that we will not go through trouble. And Jesus even said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world, right? You're free to disagree with me about this. If you want to argue about it, I will not be out in the foyer after the service. So here's what you would do. You would find, oh, I don't know. Let's see, who can I pick on today? Dan, are you up for a good argument? You are not. You don't even, you're like, what are you talking? All right. So three would be that the church would be raptured, taken out, um, before the tribulation. Mid would be in the middle of the tribulation. The tribulation is seven years, and it's three and a half years. The Bible puts Old Testament and New Testament, confirms that length of time at three and a half years. There'll be a covenant with Israel, and for seven years, the first three and a half will be a dynamic time, but at three and a half, uh, the Antichrist will turn against Israel, and the next three and a half, 
God pours his wrath out on the earth. And it's a nasty time. And that Antichrist spirit that the Bible's talking about, the Holy Spirit will be pulled back. He'll be pulled back because the church is pulled back with him. There's a little bit of speculation on this. You're free to feel about that the way that you want. So maybe I would say this to you. uh, Regardless of what you believe, you should plan like you may go through it, but you should live like the Holy Spirit may take you tomorrow. There's just wisdom in that right there. So pre, mid, post. Post are people who believe will go all the way through the tribulation and then the Lord will rescue us right at the end of it. Those people are pretty uh, negative, sour people who, uh, no matter what you think, I'm going to joke during this because it lightens it up just a little bit. And then, of course, if you're a believer, you've heard the joke. There is a fourth theory. There's the pre, there's the mid, there is the uh, post, and then there's the what? The pan theory. And the pan theory is that it'll all pan out in the end, so don't worry about it one way or the other. It'll all work out. Okay. I think the Bible is teaching that this thing that holds back this Antichrist spirit is the Holy Spirit. And as long as the Holy Spirit is in the world today, then the possibility of the miraculous is always here. The possibility of the first century church is still at our fingertips. The possibility of the dead being raised, of people being healed, of the gifts that the Bible fully tells us are in operation, are here and available for us. They have, and if you're just like, well, I think that was good for the first, the beginning of the church, and then obviously those things are gone and they no longer exist, I would argue with you, it's important that the church begins well, but how important is it that we finish well? Amen. It's not enough to start a race and do well. We've got to finish the race well, and we cannot finish it in our own power, and our own strength. We've got to have the Holy Spirit as much today as the first century church had them in the book of Acts. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. And I believe the more that we understand that and the more that we, I, people are praying, God, pour out, pour out. I'm wondering sometimes what I said about wineskins. If the Lord realizes this church is in a rigid place and not ready for a new move and that it would ruin wineskins, does it actually keep the Lord from being able to do what he wants to do? Because it would hurt his people. I'm saying something to you right now. And our job is always to be the place, Lord, keep my heart tender, keep it pliable, keep it where you can move in it fresh today. We never tell the Lord, this is how you have to do it. We just tell the Lord, we want to be a part of it. Does that make sense? It really is. It's a heart choice. It's not a, uh, you know, a demand. It's a, it's a heart choice. So why I think we could have an outpouring is we do have the Holy Spirit. I wrote this. God is good. Do you agree? And we should expect God to do good things. And if your expectation is for God to do bad things, I'm not sure what you're believing. Your theology has gotten messed up. It's gotten twisted. God is good. He cannot do evil. He can only do good. That's who God is. And so we must expect for God to do good. Now, sometimes what we think is good and what is good can be two different things. But I do believe God saving people is good. I do believe God pouring out the Holy Spirit is good. And I do believe that that possibility exists as long as the Holy Spirit is here. I mentioned a few minutes ago, how many prayers do you think have been prayed in the last 200 years, 100 years? How many prayers have been prayed in the last year for the Holy Spirit to do something great in the earth today? How many of you have prayed for that? 
That's how every hand goes up. If you're not praying for that, what are you praying for? And being serious about that, what are you praying for? Every day we should be praying, God, remember America. Remember China. The newspaper tells us that our enemy is China or Russia. Can I tell you, our enemy is unseen. We don't wrestle flesh and blood. We wrestle principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's easy to focus on the wrong enemy. We waste our time, and I get that there's a nationalistic issue there. I'm not denying that. But the enemy, <laughs> the enemy is so skillful that he gets us to fight, and he stays out of the way unseen the entire time so that we never fight the right thing. But how many prayers? Billions? Trillions? I just don't think God will ignore those prayers. We have the Holy Spirit. Here's the second one. We have prophecy. Now, uh, again, I'm going to zoom fast. Um, I would encourage you to go home and look these things up. If you're like, I think I heard it taught different, find out find out why you believe what you believe. If you think I'm wrong, go home and study. Man, I would encourage you. Don't take my word for it. Go home and look it up yourself. Figure it out. See what you think. Why do you believe what you believe? This is what I believe. We have prophecy that indicates an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like a direction, a clue, a, a curtain that opens. We can't see everything before the curtain closes again, but we get a glimpse of it. And you have to read your Bible understanding that prophecy is not this exact science where you read it from the beginning to the end. Prophecy was written about the book of Revelation. A man wrote it 2,000 years ago in exile. The Bible says in the very beginning of Revelation, I, John, on the Lord's day, was caught up in the Spirit. So he's experiencing this, this vision and this, this, this thing that is like unbelievable. And then he's trying to write down, as a man who lived 2,000 years ago, things he's seen way in the future. How would you write, if you lived in the 1800s, how would you write about an airplane? Do you understand what I'm saying? How would you describe Like a bird that could go fast. Are you with me? Some of you are like, I still don't understand. You're living in the 1800s, pal. Come on. 2022. All right, so this is Revelation 7-9. John is writing about a future event. This is John, the beloved. This is John long after. He's an old man. Uh, he hasn't been martyred for his faith, but he's been exiled on an island called Patmos. And on the Lord's day, he's caught up in a vision, and he's writing these things down. So this is Revelation 7-9, why I believe it could be an indication of a great revival before the return of Jesus. After this, I looked, and there before me was a, how big? A great multitude, and here's how big it was, that no one could count. And then here's what's really cool. From every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, and they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, before Jesus. Now, this gives us a clue of what they went through. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Uh, then one of the elders asked me, John, he's in the very throne room in the Spirit. He's in the very throne room of God at the end of this age, and there are multitudes, so many people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language, every skin color, every background. These are all believers who gave their lives for Jesus in the Great Tribulation. They went through a difficult time. 
and proved themselves faithful. And God gave them a place right before the throne. Dude, could you imagine? Before the throne, man. There's so many you can't count them. And then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? You can't get any more specific than that. And where did they come from? Here's a very honest man. I answered, sir, only you know. There's a good honest answer, yes or no. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. I didn't make it up, did I? They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so real quickly, why I think that this could be an indication of a great outpouring. Now, I'm going to give you both views. Some people are going to say that today, around the world, are millions of believers of every tribe, every color, every nation, every tongue, who believe in Jesus, and that's what heaven's going to look like regardless. I agree. But this tells us these are people who have come out of the tribulation, correct? There are too many to number, so something terrific must have happened, right? Because people who lived a thousand years ago are already in heaven. These are people who came out of that time. And there's so many you can't count. Something unbelievable had happened on the earth before this happened. And John is recounting there are so many of them. And they speak all these different languages, and they're all different colors, and they're all different people groups. By the way, when you get to heaven, if you're like, hey, I need the American section, you're going to be very disappointed. You won't find an Armenian section or a German section. It's only people who line up under the banner of the Lion of the tribe of Judah who will be in heaven. It won't matter your skin color or your language or your background. If you come in and like, hey, where's the Baptist part? I'm funning with you right now. Let me tell you an experience that Chris and I have had. It's one of the things we love about going to Israel. I would invite you to go with me. You can see this for yourself. Um, we go to the Pool of Bethesda, which, to jog your memory, is where Jesus healed a man who had been uh, born lame for almost 40 years. For almost 40 years, 39 and some change. And it tells the story about how he would try to get down to the pool to be healed, but people would get in front of him and get healed before he could get there. Remember the story? So we go to that place, and you can actually go to that pool and it's an amazing, amazing thing. But they built a church there called St. Anne's Church, and it was built a couple of hundred years ago before we had the electronics that allow for me to stand here with a microphone and project my voice. So they had to build buildings. Like, and maybe you've been in some of those churches that, that the, the acoustics in them, they have domes sometimes and hard walls that allow for the acoustics to, to be really, so that when you sing, it really echoes inside those churches. Anybody know what I'm I'm talking about. So this church is called St. Anne's. And one of the things I love about Israel, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all generations that believe in the Lord Jesus make that pilgrimage to Israel. And one of the places that they end up is at this pool. And then they all go into this church and you take turns singing in this church. And this has happened to me almost every time that I've been there. There'll be Russians. There'll be Africans, there'll be Americans, uh, there'll be Chinese, there'll be, I, I mean, think of all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues. They crowd into this church, and while the language barrier keeps us from being able to talk just right to each other, there are certain songs that while the words may be different, the tune is the same. 
And so we'll sing um, Amazing Grace. So we're singing it in English, and the Russians are singing it in Russian, and the Africans are singing it in an African dialect, and, and maybe the, 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 the uh, Iraqis are there in Farsi. And everybody's singing right, and all of a sudden you're caught up. You're not listening to the words, but you're caught up in the fact that the Holy Spirit is smiling over this event. And you don't want to leave. People react differently when the Holy Spirit is on them. My heart breaks. I start to cry. It wouldn't have been the one that I would have chosen. Sometimes I I can't even stop. I cry so hard. It's like, it's just standing in this church always, man, I just begin to weep. It's a little taste of what heaven will be like. Where it breaks down all nationalities and all barriers. And everyone, every couple, how beautiful heaven will be. How awesome heaven will be. Without a border or a language or a difference, the common denominator is that we're all there because we love Jesus. And we have an opportunity here and now to have this little taste of heaven on earth where we can choose to forego all of those things. I don't know why my message is going this direction right now. We get so tied up fighting the wrong enemy. We forget about our common denominator, which is if you love Jesus, then you're my brother. And if you love Jesus, then you're my sister. If you love Jesus, then I'm for you. And if I love Jesus, then he's for me. And even if you think I misinterpreted scripture, love me. Pray for me. Cling to me and I will cling to you. Because our enemy is the enemy. It's not another church. It's not a skin color. Do you hear me? It's not some affiliation. Come to Israel with me and I'll show you. I'll take you right there. It's not an age thing. It's not a bunch of old people like me. We're young people. And he's awesome. And this is a picture that John writes of something that happened coming into a difficult time. So perhaps there were end times, obviously, and there was something that brought millions and millions of people, so many that you couldn't count them, of every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language, is gathered before the throne. If you just extrapolate that backwards, something happened right then. These were not millions of people who died over the last 2,000 years since Jesus was resurrected. They came out of the tribulation. Something dynamic. The church didn't fold and die in the dark days. The church became this awesome, powerful thing while the earth was spinning (laughs) and going crazy. Anybody else see that? It's a, yes, I love it too. Who said that? Well, everybody's pointing at everybody else. Who? Phil said that. 
I love you. Hmm. Joel 2. So I, I won't read all of Joel 2 right now. But look, so Joel is an Old Testament prophet, a minor prophet. And Joel had a prophecy where he said, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Young and old, men and women, they're going to prophesy, they're going to dream dreams. It says that the latter rain and the former rain, it's all going to come together. The vats are going to overflow like you've never seen. You're not going to be able to reap uh, how fast the, it's coming out of the ground. He predicts this incredible time. And I don't just think it's a physical time. I think it's a spiritual time that he's predicting. In, in the last days is what he says. And then on the day of Pentecost, which is the day of reaping, right? The Jews had three big festivals that they went to Jerusalem for. Pentecost was one of those festivals. And Jesus, being perfect in all of his symmetry, he pours out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And what happens to this little, uh, this, this crazy movement of people who believe that a man's been raised from the dead, right? This, this sect, they're considered to be a cult and a bunch of weirdos. The Holy Spirit gets poured out on them. And they end up endued with this power to be witnesses to the whole earth. And they're operating in all of these gifts. One of them, they're speaking in tongues. And then the people in Jerusalem see this. And so they make the worst assumption about them. They're a bunch of drunks. Peter stands up. So Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. There's a word for some of us right there. No! 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 This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and then he quotes Joel. In the what days? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, not just prophet, priests, and kings, not a few select people, everyone. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men will see vision. Old men will dream dreams. Uh, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Everyone in this room can prophesy. I'll say it one more time. Everyone in this room can prophesy. That doesn't mean you're a prophet. But the Holy Spirit is in the world today. And He can come on you or well up in you. And you can prophesy the Father's heart to this world. You can prophesy what God's goodness is to another person. You can know what God is saying today. And it says on your sons and daughters. So by the way, you should be praying for your sons and daughters. And maybe like me, you're praying for your grandchildren. Oh Lord, I want them to experience you. And I want them to speak the word of the Lord. I want them to prophesy. And if that's weird, what are you praying for them? I want them to make a lot of money. Okay. May they make a lot of money. But Jesus said, what is it going to profit you if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? May they make money, but may they love Jesus so passionately that money doesn't own them. Jesus owns them. Come on, church. This is what we're praying today, man. That the Holy Spirit be poured out fresh and new on our children and our children's children. Ha <laughs> ha. Let me finish this. I will show so wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. And then he gets into poetic language. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. Uh, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. We have another clue. Before the Lord comes, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out in this incredible way. And then this part, I love this verse. Everyone, read it with me. 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes. And if you're like, why are people excited? Dude, your wood is wet, wet, and it needs to get on fire. We're excited because it says that in the last days, God's going to pour out His Spirit and people will be calling on His name and they will be saved. I think it's saying it's going to be so easy to get saved. So easy that you're going to look out at the world and go, no. Okay, let me, uh, <laughs> let me do this. Why, where am I at on that uh, pre, mid, post-tribulation thing and the Lord's return? Where do I think, I'm a mid guy. I'm a mid guy, and I'm going to show you why. God did not appoint us, this is First Thessalonians 5, 9. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so it is, it's spoken of in several places uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Again, I'm not doing a whole, some of this, if, like if you want to know, email me. I'd be happy to run you through this. Um, you could listen to some of the messages I've taught in the, uh, the past two to, to figure some of these things out. But I think that the Bible is pretty clear when it says the tribulation is a seven-year time period. The first three and a half years are actually phenomenally good years, but not because God is doing it. The enemy is actually in a deceptive practice at that point. But then suddenly there's a covenant with Israel. The Antichrist will turn against Israel, actually set himself up to be worshipped as God in Israel. And during that three and a half years, I believe that's when the church is pulled back with the Holy Spirit. And those three and a half years, the Bible says God pours out his wrath on people who rejected and continually said no. And the Bible tells us we are not appointed for God's wrath. Do you believe that? So in my opinion, that says it's a mid. Now, if you're just like, Pastor, why aren't you a pre-guy? I want you to be right. I want you to know I want you to be right. I hope that I'm wrong. Uh, if you're a post-person, I don't even want to talk to you. Don't. But I think we have prophecy that gives us little indications of people getting saved at a phenomenal rate, the Holy Spirit being poured out before Jesus returns, what heaven looks like for people who make it through a difficult time. Here's the last one real quick. We have a clue. This clue, I never saw this before until this last Christmas. And I was preaching um, on Mary when the angel Gabriel came and gave her the news that she's found favor with God and that she was going to bear the Lord Jesus. It's a powerful, powerful moment. But while I was studying it, I saw something and began to chase something that I feel like the Lord, the Lord showed me. So let me just read this to you uh, real quickly. Uh, Jesus' cousin is John, and we call him John the Baptist. And Jesus said of John, and the scriptures say of John, John came in the spirit and power of who? Elijah. So let, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah. Zechariah was a high priest. Uh, John was in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. This was John's job. 
This is the spirit and power of Elijah. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him, for our God. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way smooth. And all the people will see God's salvation. Would you agree with me very quickly that John's job, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, and that his job was to prepare the way for the Lord to come in. So if you read this a little bit further, here's what I saw that I never recognized. The Bible says that before Jesus came to be baptized, the most incredibly unobvious people were having revival. Tax collectors, religious people, it names soldiers. All of the people, it was not the people that you would have thought that would be repenting. It was all of the other people who came to repent. They were having a revival. People were turning to God left and right, repenting of their sins. And John was preparing the way of the Lord so that Jesus, when he came, had an easy way. The valley was raised up. The mountains and hills made low. The rough place is smooth. The crooked is straight. That's the job of the spirit of Elijah, to make it easy for the Lord to come into a person's heart. Now follow me real quick. (laughs) One of the things that the Bible tells us in prophecy, one of the witnesses will be Elijah. Elijah's job is to turn the people's hearts back to the Lord. When Elijah was a prophet, listen to the story real quickly. Elijah, uh, probably his greatest feat was that he served Israel underneath a wicked king named Ahab and a wicked queen named Jezebel. And here's what the Bible says about Ahab. He was so wicked, no other king was like him. Everything he did was to turn the people's heart away from God. This was a wicked man. And Elijah's ministry is to minister for the Lord under this wicked government. A government that didn't care anything, a government that did everything they could to turn people away from God, Elijah's called right in the middle of that to prepare the way for the Lord. And so probably the, 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 the penultimate moment is that the, nurse, the nation was serving the Baals. And Elijah had a confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And we go to this place. I can take you to this place. And all day long, here's what they, Elijah gathers them all together. This is what he said. Let's find out who really is God. If Baal is God, then we all should serve Baal. But if God is God, if Jehovah is God, then we all should serve Jehovah. And he says, so here's what we're going to do, a contest. The God who answers by fire is God. So he lets the prophets of Baal. There's 450 of them. You guys go first. So they create an offering, a sacrifice, and they put it all together. And then they begin to chant and pray and dance, and they cut themselves. The Bible says blood's flowing all over the place. And then Elijah begins to taunt them. Uh, if you read the language, in modern language, it actually says this. Maybe your God has gone to the bathroom. Call a little bit louder. It's literally what it says. You know, we read the Bible very, very cleaned up. But if you go back and read it, it's, original, it's very powerful. Maybe your God's on the toilet. Call a little bit louder. He's not hearing you right now. So they're yelling, ah, 450 of them. Nothing happens. He waits all day long. Let them have, I think they have 12 or 13 hours. So Elijah goes, okay, you done? Okay, sit down. So he said, get water. And they soak the wood and they soak the sacrifice so much they build a moat around it so it holds the water. And Elijah prays a simple prayer, the God who is God. And the Bible says that uh, fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And he said, don't waver between two opinions anymore. If God is God, serve him. And in his zeal, he took a sword and he killed 
450 false prophets of Baal. His job was to turn the nation's heart back to God. And John came in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the people's hearts back to God. Repent. Open your heart. Make it easy for God to get in there. Any person in this room, if you've been in our church any length of time, I've led Seder dinners here. And Seder is what the Jews practice at Passover. It's a dinner that has a lot of prophetic implications. Anybody know this? See if you can follow me. There's one empty chair at a Seder dinner. They set the plate, and they keep the chair empty. Does anybody know who that's prepared for and who it's set for? If you guess now, you couldn't hardly guess, right? I think it's Jesus. No. Elijah. They set the table for Elijah. And then a child is supposed to get up and open the door to see if Elijah's there. Because here's what Jews believe. Before the Messiah comes, Elijah will be here first. To prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah. What we have in the Old Testament, with John in the New Testament, and then with the return of Jesus, is that the spirit and power of Elijah, I believe, will come upon the church through the Holy Spirit, and there will be a revival to help prepare the hearts of people to return to the Lord before the Lord returns to the earth. That's what I believe. I think it's there. If you look at it, you can see it. You can find it. And if you're just like, oh, Pastor, I'm more confused than the one I walked in, man, I'm so sorry for that. I honestly, I don't want you to be confused. I want you to be able to follow and get it. The bottom line is, man, listen to me. The bottom line is Jesus is coming back. And our job is to be ready. And we cannot make ourselves ready. The Holy Spirit makes us ready. And I want you to be prepared, and I want you to be open, and I want you, I don't want you to be rigid in your form where, Holy Spirit, you can only fill this part. I want you to get yourself ready. Holy Spirit, you can have all of me. Um, <laughs> and here's the truth. Pastor, are you 100% sure? No. No one knows it's sure except the Father. Matthew 24. About that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels. Not even Jesus knows. Only the Father in heaven. But then he gives this clue. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Is that very clear? For in the days before the flood, people were, look at this crazy, crazy lifestyle they were living. They were eating and drinking. You would not have pointed and said, the Lord's about to do something on the earth. Yes or no? You would have said, hey, this is a pretty normal day. I tell you something about normal days. Normal days hide supernatural days. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. They were getting married. They were being given in marriage up till the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew how much? Nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other one left. Therefore, let's do it together. Therefore, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not 
expect him. There may not be some major indication if, in fact, the church may be having its best days ever. There may be such an outpouring of revival that you would think this won't be the time that Jesus would come back. And then suddenly, the Lord comes. And so the only thing you can do is to be watching. And how do you watch? With the Holy Spirit. You watch with... I'm not confusing you, am I? I don't know if you're looking like... Or... The Lord tells me, don't judge people by their faces. But that is so hard to do, man. That is so hard to do. I wish I could look into heart, right? And see what's going on in the heart. But all you have is a face that... Some of you would be great poker players, to be real honest with you. I read this this week. In the temple was a solid gold menorah um, that never went out. And the way that the, the menorah got its oil, there was an olive tree that was always in bloom so that the oil from the olive tree would consistently fill the menorah so that the fire never went out. I felt like what the Holy Spirit told me was, we're that menorah. Our lives are set on fire. And the only way that we don't go out is that the Holy Spirit has to constantly be filling our lives with the oil. And in Matthew 25, right past that verse that I just read, Jesus teaches about virgins that fall asleep before the return of the Lord. And the ones who were ready were the ones who had oil. And the other ones were trying to go get oil real quick. And they didn't have enough time. And I'm not trying to frighten you or scare you. Someday you may be glad I told you this. Your job is to make sure that you stay full of the Holy Spirit. The only safety in these days and in these times is not how you vote. And it's not where you live. And it's not where you go to church. It is to be full of the Holy Spirit. So that at any given time, man, you're burning. You're on fire. I'm be honest with you. I really don't know what a revival looks like. I've never actually seen one. I've read about them. They happened many, many years before I was ever born. I know there's been a little outpourings here and there. But I, 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 I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this. Catch on fire, and people will come to watch you burn. And maybe that's as close as I know how to get us. Catch on fire, man. I can't worry about the rest of the world. I can't worry about other churches. I've got to worry about our church and me. And Lord... I want to be a wineskin that is so pliable and that is so full of fresh wine. God, I'm, I'm glad for yesterday. I'm glad for the last 24 years. I'm glad that we had a grand opening last week, but that was last week. What's he doing today, right now, in your heart, in your life? This is difficult because as believers, we really, it, it inoculates us to think our yesterday experience keeps us safe for today. Your yesterday experience is your, it's your history. It, it is the heritage, but it is not the guarantee of tomorrow. The guarantee right now, you feel right now. Isn't it funny how in this very educated business, huh, 2022 area, Pentecost is coming alive in a pastor's heart. I thought, I, it's like I'm, I'm almost out of space and time. I should have, might have lived 
150 years ago. And yet I'm here now. Right now. And so are you. Calling to prepare the way of the Lord. Any mountain that's in the way needs to be taken down. And any low place needs to be raised up. And any crooked place in you needs to be made straight. And any rough place needs to be made smooth. And I'm not judging talking to me first before I talk to anybody. Prepare the way of the Lord so that He can move easily in our hearts and easily in our church. Anybody hear what I'm saying today? Do you hear me? Can you hear me? Everything else becomes superfluous for me just to keep talking. So, Holy Spirit, you, you are it. You're it. You're it. Father, thank you for being good. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. While you're praying, I just want to ask a couple of questions. Does it matter how you come to this place, whether you've been in our church or a church for many years, or whether you haven't been? This is personal and private, and I'd like you to just keep your eyes closed for a minute so we facilitate something for the Father. Are you in a relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you've read the Bible. I'm not asking if you can give me a definition. Do you know this Jesus that I'm talking about today? Have you opened your heart to Him? Have you heard Him knock on the door of your heart? Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone hears me knocking and opens the door, I'll come in. He's speaking of relationship. He's speaking of intimacy. He's speaking of something that's here and now. It's fresh. Any mountain that's in the way needs to go away. Any rough or crooked needs to stop so that the Lord can speak to you. Do you know this Jesus? Maybe more important, do you want to know this Jesus? Because He's here right now and He's knocking. I'm not asking you to join church. I'm not asking you to be good. I'm not asking you to get religion. I'm asking if you need God's mercy. I'm asking if you need His forgiveness.
I'm asking if you want Jesus. That's what I'm asking. And if you say, Pastor, I, I hear it. You're talking to me. And the answer is yes, I need Jesus. I need him. Maybe you've never said yes. Maybe it's just you're so far away. But today you hear him calling. If you say, Pastor, would you please pray for me today? Remember me. Would you just slip your hand up right now? Pray for me, child. No one's looking at you. No one cares. God does. I'm just looking. Anybody else? Pray for me. Yep. This is many of us. You can put them back there. Thank you for being serious. Thank you for opening your heart. And thank you for saying yes to the Lord. He loves you. He, from the beginning of time, created this day where you'd cross paths with Him so that you could hear this message and know that He loves you. There's no right or wrong way for you right now to come to Him. It's just to say, God, I need you. Father, be merciful to me. Father, help me. Father, save me. It's just from that sincere place in your heart that you say yes to Jesus. Father, every man and woman, young and old, coming from so many different places right now who want to be part of a day where every tribe, every tongue, and every nation gathers before you. Father, they hear you speaking today. They hear you calling their name. Father, as they say yes to you and open themselves, Father, forgive their sins. Reconcile them to yourself right now through Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill their lives. Seal them right now. God, cause them to experience the new life that you promise. The old is gone and the new comes. And we celebrate with every person who says yes to Jesus today. Every person who says yes to Jesus, you're our brother, you're our sister. Yes. There's room for you. Yes. Welcome. God, for me, for all of us, Holy Spirit, we don't want to rest on yesterday. We don't want to rest on the past. We're thankful for it. It made us who we are today, but God, today, fill us fresh. Church, is this your prayer? Father, fill us fresh. Fill us new today. Soften my heart, God, so that when you pour new wine into it, it's flexible and it can contain it. God, forgive me for telling you how you have to do it. Forgive me for telling you, Father God, that it has to be this way 
are that way. Lord, it's like David said, I will become more undignified in order to allow you to do whatever you need to do, Father. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about you. I bow my knee to you. Fill my life. Fill my life. And have all of me. And I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ah, what an awesome day. Hey, let's celebrate people who gave their lives to Jesus today. Well done. I'm anxiously looking forward and praying for the beckoning of the Holy Spirit, calling us to deeper, deeper places, wonderful places. Church, our best days are in front of us. Our best days are in front of us. If you love Jesus, your best days are in front of you. What, a, what an exciting day to be alive, to be honest with you, man. See God move.